Happy summer break, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the final episode of the Backmarkers F1 show of the first half of the 2021 F1 season. This is episode number 113. I'm your host, Chris Cato. Thank you so much for choosing to spend an hour with us today as we're going to be recapping the 2021 Hungarian Grand Prix and what was a really thrilling and awesome race to send us into this four-week break until F1 resumes in Belgium. To help me break down all the action, and we got a lot to go through tonight, is of course my co-host, fellow backmarker, Tyler McDonald. Good evening, Tyler. How are you today? Hey, Chris. How's it going? What a uh, thrilling and uh, drama-filled race again we've had uh, in Hungary but uh, very enjoyable. I, I enjoyed the whole race. So nice to see uh, a little bit of uh, talking points that we can spend four weeks talking about. I know everyone's going to be talking about it for four weeks straight now. So uh, at least we'll have lots to talk about. Absolutely. And before we get into all the action, we'll get back to the podcast in just a minute. Of course, a quick shout out and thank you to our sponsors. Support for the Backmarkers F1 show is brought to you by our friends at Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0, and you can join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with their jewels with this exclusive offer for you guys, Backmarkers F1 show listeners. So go to manscaped.com and get 20% off and free worldwide shipping when you use the code bmf1show.com. This is, of course, a limited-time offer, guys. So you can check the pinned comment and also the description in the video below so you can get the discount. BMF1 show, 20% off, and free worldwide shipping if you go to manscaped.com. So we appreciate Manscaped giving us that offer for you guys. And, of course, our longtime sponsor, thegpbox.com. They just renovated their website not too long ago. It looks absolutely fantastic. It is the leading place for motorsport memorabilia, used F1 car parts, F1 merchandise, and just other really cool F1 gifts and artifacts for the motorsport fan in your life. So check the description in the video and the podcast app below, and you'll find some exclusive discount codes from our friends at the GP Box, just for you guys, Backmarkers F1 show listeners. So thank you to both Manscaped and GP Box for sponsoring the Backmarkers F1 show podcast. Now, let me tell you, Chris, I have recently used the Manscaped hair and body shampoo, and (laughs) it smells phenomenal. I mean, it might be my favorite body wash and shampoo uh, that i've i've had ever i can smell um, it so, through the screen yeah can you yeah no i like it i say it smells like man like i smell like i feel more masculine you know when i wear it um so if if anyone's listening highly recommend and to make sure you use our code because i think that offer is running out very very soon we're not gonna have it for much longer so uh it's up to you guys to to get us uh, up into uh, having our sponsorships for longer. So we hope that uh, you can use the Manscaped products because uh, I really enjoy it myself. Absolutely. Okay, so let's dive right into the 2021 Hungarian Grand Prix and totally a race that we didn't expect coming. I know I thought this race was going to be really exciting. I know, uh, you know, the Hungaro Ring isn't necessarily traditionally the most exciting track for overtakes, but because of all the drama that happened after the British Grand Prix, it was going to be exciting nonetheless. But then everything just kind of turned on its head with the very similar to actually the race here last season in which they started on the wet conditions and then quickly moved into the dry. But Esteban Ocon, of course, scoring that maiden first Formula One victory. And I don't have any Alpine gear yet, so I did wear my Renault cap, but it, of course, still is a Renault-powered car. But let me just get your opening thoughts here, Tyler, on on the race itself in general and just a historic day for for the team Alpine and, of course, Esteban Ocon himself. 
Absolutely it is. And I couldn't find, uh, anything French related. So I, I did my best. I found my, my Lille shirt that of course they're the French champions. They just won the, the super cup in, in, uh, France as well. So congrats to them. I don't know what team Esteban supports. Hopefully it's Lille because that's what I'm wearing. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, like you said, an amazing day for Alpine and a real team effort, uh, from top to bottom. I mean, the crew doing a phenomenal job to have that quick stop and get them out there in what was you know first place out of the pit lane uh, during the restart. And by Esteban for holding off Vettel for so long, he drove a fantastic race. And we can talk more about that maybe in a second, just on how well his defending was and how consistent he was throughout the whole race. And of course, his teammate, Fernando Alonso, who gave us maybe one of the most classic battles we'll have in F1 between him and Hamilton throughout the last you know, 15 laps of that race. Uh, really was exciting to watch, and and Alonso pulled off a masterclass. He helped Esteban win that race for sure, um, but just a, a beautiful job of defending right on the edge, and uh, I really loved it. So uh, awesome for Alpine. Uh, I'm glad to see them finally get their uh, maiden victory as an Alpine car, and since the Renault's return to F1, um, and along with the first uh, French, uh, or is it no? It's the second French driver in a French powered car i believe yeah since alan prost i believe Alan prost yeah yeah 30 years ago a very long time actually yeah so it's been quite a while of course on top of pierre gasly's win last year the second french driver to win a grand prix in you know the last couple of decades or so so it's been a nice run of form for the french drivers but it, it just came as such a surprise with of course the the hamilton situation of not coming into the pits which we'll get to in a few minutes but I, I echo the same thoughts, and I think his defense was very, very good for almost a complete 70 laps of that race. And it wasn't easy because, obviously, it's it's difficult to follow in the dirty air. I think the Aston Martin did have more pace in the car. But nonetheless, Ocon still had to place his car in all the right positions and still had to maintain a very good, consistent lap time to be able to hold off Vettel for that long. So that was a very, very good effort from him. And I just like the story behind Ocon's victory when we saw him struggle so much last year against Daniel Ricciardo and had a very good finish to his 2020 season. But we were kind of asking the question like, you know, man, maybe the Ocon hype train is over in the last few seasons. Of course, while he was still at Force India, you remember back then he was rumored to be the second driver at Mercedes alongside Lewis Hamilton. Now that discussion is completely gone and it's moved on to George Russell. So it looks like things weren't really working out for Ocon that well in his return to F1, but he had the podium last year in Sakir, and then it all culminated with this first victory. And where Alpine was at the start of this year and throughout the season, I definitely would not have predicted this coming. And what's even crazier now is Ocon has the third most laps led in 2021 ahead of drivers like Valtteri Bottas, Sergio Perez, and Charles Leclerc. So fully deserved for Esteban Ocon. It's a shame Shaker isn't with us with this episode because we know <laughs> Ocon is his favorite driver. But uh, I, I just like the redemption story, and, and he's had a very long and hard road to F1 and a very bumpy ride even when he's been in the sport. So full credit goes to him and, and a massive congratulations. You know, I did think for a second because he was catching Verstappen to lap him. And yes. it, I know I thought for a second, I said, I wonder if Max remembers what happened in Brazil and if he does something a little cheeky uh, as payback, but uh, he didn't end up catching Verstappen. So we'll never know that answer. I don't think Max would have because that would have been silly for his championship because he needs every point he can get. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was definitely something that was popping in the back of my mind. Like, oh, I wonder if he does catch up to Max, what will happen here? But uh, no, we didn't get to see that drama. That would have been way too much drama. 
uh, for the Hungarian Grand Prix. It's funny that you said that because it totally slipped my mind. You know, I remember seeing him catching up to Verstappen, but it never, the Brazil incident just didn't cross my mind. So yeah, it would have been funny to see, but we didn't get to that point. Um, now, just to piggyback off of what you said in your uh, first statement there about this being a whole complete team effort. And we have to talk about Fernando Alonso because in many ways, I do think that Alonso is responsible for at least a, a third or maybe even half of Ocon's victory. Of course, Esteban did a fantastic job on his own. But as we know, in Formula One, you do win as a team and the team plays a big part, not just the pit stops, but your teammate as well. And Honestly, his battle with Lewis Hamilton was just absolutely phenomenal. It was the racing that we want to see, excellent wheel-to-wheel. I don't think they ever touched, but it was very, very close. I think his defend defending was absolutely phenomenal, and he had the pace to win that race. I mean, I think if yeah. a couple of things would have went his way earlier when they went to the dry tires, he would have been able to win that race, but it's just awesome seeing the old Fernando back. But even more, I have to give absolute full credit to Fernando Alonso just to see how much of a team player he's become. And Ocon said it at the media pen afterwards himself that, like, look, like us in the media, I guess you can consider us media too. We talked about these things preseason that Fernando was very difficult uh, to have as a teammate because he is very good. He's also a strong character. We've seen what he'd done to young teammates in the past just with how good he is. And Ocon was saying the same things, like, I heard all these things, he's difficult to work with, yada, yada, yada. But then he says that I completely don't have that experience so far at Alpine. He's, like, so humble, he's so easy to work with. And you could see him too, man. He was picking him up after the race and and celebrating almost like he even won the race. So, I mean, he did a P4, which is obviously his best result since 2014 in an excellent race. But I think that he would have been on for that race victory as well. But I think that seeing Alonso back at the very best and him against Lewis Hamilton was just awesome. No, it really was. It was something that we'll talk about down the line as, you know, maybe the past possible last Alonzo Hamilton battle we'll see. Um, and one that lasted, you know, whatever it was, 10 laps, 12 laps. It was really interesting to see um, where Alonzo was placing his car. And I hope that a lot of young drivers can learn from that because it was picture perfect for almost the whole time. And, you know, the only reason Hamilton got by Alonzo was because Alonzo made a mistake and locked up. Uh, going into turn one and that gave a perfect run for Lewis uh, going into turn two. Um, But other than that, it was picture perfect from Alonso and it was hard, good, clean racing. Of course, uh, Lewis will say that uh, he's weaving all over the place and, you know, trying to get his advantage as well. And I don't know if he caught what Alonso said after the race, but I think he said uh, Lewis is always complaining. So it's, it's okay. Um, But in the end, I don't think you can ask for a better battle. And that, you know, we were all hoping for the close Verstappen and Hamilton battle at Hungary. Well, we got to an Alonso Hamilton battle that will go down as a classic. Yeah, it was just as good, maybe even better than uh, Verstappen and Hamilton because they both kept it on the track in that That's regard. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, 40 years old too. He just celebrated his 40th birthday and he has not missed a beat. So I think that Alonso, in a crazy race like this, it's going to bode well for him for the rest of the 12 races to go that he could at least score a podium or or maybe even a race win. You never know what happens, right? Um, Because Alpine has been at times the fifth, sometimes even sixth best car this season. So getting this result for them was, was massive, a P1 and a P4. Considering the fact of what happened to Aston Martin later, which we're going to obviously talk about, it's big for them in the constructor standings as well. So, yeah, just so many good things to say about uh, Fernando Alonso. And I think I saw some memes as well after that, 
you know, Spain has announced their new minister of defense, which is uh, <laughs> Fernando Alonso and, and those types of photos. So that was really funny. But yeah, he made that car as wide as possible. And I know, uh, yeah, Hamilton, he definitely didn't like it, but it was kind of what we expect uh, on the radio from Hamilton. But I think it was all really, really good. And it just goes to show what that experience and that two-time world champion level of driving will do. And considering the fact that Mercedes is arguably the fastest car and Alpine is the fifth and sixth fastest, but in the hands of the right driver, it's a completely different story. So, yeah, just an absolutely phenomenal day for for Alpine and totally unexpected. I don't, no way I would have been able to predict that result at the start of the weekend. No, I don't think anyone could. If you're looking at who is going to be your top three, uh, you probably had Hamilton in there, but you definitely didn't have Ocon. And uh, maybe you would have Science in there if, if something went crazy, but you know it could be there. But you wouldn't have Ocon P3, let alone P1. So lovely, the unpredictable races. Uh, it makes F1 interesting um, for the casual viewer as well. Um, you know, it makes it exciting for us, the diehards. But the casual viewers, they were wondering, oh, well, who's this kid? And then all of a sudden, you know, they do their research and learn more about us about it. It's really nice to see. And I can't wait for the Netflix um, episode for this race. It's going to be wild. You're right, because the one they did last year on Pierre Gasly, his win at Monza was actually one of my favorite episodes. So, yeah, I'm going to be looking forward to that a lot. So, yeah, congratulations to, to Esteban and Fernando and the entire Alpine team. It's been quite a while for them, of course, uh, going back to the Renault days. But uh, it was uh, definitely... Argue, would you say, just quickly before we move on to the other parts in the race, would you say that was probably the race of the season? Uh, it's up there. I'd say it's it's definitely top three. I can't. I, I would have to. I would have to think of you know a little harder of what would be one, two, three. But it's up there for sure. Is one of the races of the season? Absolutely for so, me. What do you think? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I haven't really thought. You know, eleven races back. First one that comes to mind, I would say, is Imola. You know, you could argue it with Imola because it was sort of similar, changeable conditions, and we had a lot of drama in there as well. I think probably you could rival it with Baku, possibly. Mm. But um, yeah, yeah, I think top three for sure. It's in there. But uh, yeah, let us know in the comments. Was was this your race of the year? And if not, uh, which other one so far? But we've had plenty to choose from. So yeah. um, I'm definitely happy about that. Now, the reason why Esteban Ocon and Alpine were in this situation was because of the interchangeable conditions at Hungary, and by the time the drivers went around to their formation laps, it was very clear on the TV and to the drivers as well driving that the track was drying out very, very quickly, and it was time to move on to slick tires. And we saw 19 drivers come in into the pits, and the only guy to take the five red lights at the start and line up on the grid was Lewis Hamilton, and you saw just how much of a pace disadvantage those wet tires did in comparison to the hards because with within half a lap they were already caught up to Lewis Hamilton and it sent him obviously back down to I believe 14th at that point which was effectively last because of all the lap one carnage but were you surprised to see him being the only driver to stay out there I, I really was Mercedes no better than that I was surprised that during the outlap Lewis didn't say let's go for drives now he's in the lead so what do you do do does every driver behind him do the opposite of what Lewis does is there talks of just do the opposite of what Lewis does. Uh, you see that a lot in NASCAR of just do the opposite of what the leader is during pit stops, especially when you get to the last laps of the race. Um, so I was very surprised. And of course it brings one of the most iconic starts 
or restarts in F1 history. And one of the craziest pictures we'll ever see is just Lewis Hamilton starting the race again on his own. It rivals the crazy uh, U.S. Grand Prix at, at Indianapolis when only six cars took the grid. Uh, except this time we had more than six cars finish, which is nice. Um, it, it just wild, just wild. I was very surprised to see him the only one to start. And, you know, it, it created carnage in the pits too, having all those cars in there. Mazepin got knocked out from Raikkonen in uh, after colliding there. Pierre Gasly almost ran into the back of uh, Nikita Mazepin as well and had to dodge a couple of cars. It was a mess in the pit lane. George Russell tried to pull a fast one on everyone and sneak out first, which was cheeky, but I mean, why not try it? So it was a, a crazy little interchange of you know, two, three minutes of what was going on there. It's strange because I think on the broadcast, I don't know if it was Sky or if it was the pit lane channel, they were saying that Mercedes, Mercedes during the red flag had said that there was going to be no more rain. And then Lewis Hamilton post-race said that the team told him that there was going to be more rain coming. So there had to have been some sort of miscommunication there, but I was very surprised to see Hamilton stay up because he generally has an excellent sense of track conditions and obviously a great feel for you know when to go on certain tires. So I was very, very surprised. And look, we can talk all we want about the mistakes Red Bull have made this year, and most of them not of their own, of course, the, which like we saw in this race, that has resulted them in them losing a lot of points. But so has Mercedes. And this is the championship pressure cooker that is the 2021 season because both of these drivers and teams are being forced into these types of mistakes that we haven't seen in the last couple of years. And that's a big mistake from Lewis Hamilton and the team as well. I know that they couldn't talk during the formation lap on team radio to call him in or not. That had to be a driver call. But nonetheless, I can't remember exactly what the point total would have been had Hamilton won. I believe it would have been a 17-point lead, if I'm not mistaken. So that's a big points haul that uh, on a day where Red Bull was completely out of it, he missed a big chance. No, he really did. It was a perfect opportunity for him to stamp his name at the top of the leaderboard in the driver's, in the driver's standings. I mean, yes, he's top now, but like you said, it could have been a lot more than what it is. Uh, and will this be something that you know we look back on at the end of the season and say this was a defining moment, Max getting those two points finishing ninth place. Those could be the most important points of Max's career. Just like Christian Horner said on the radio to him. Um, it's, it's a fascinating little tidbit of what this long storyline of the 2021 F1 world championship is going to end up being because it has been very dramatic. And there has been a lot of ups and downs for both drivers so far this season. So lots to look back on for both of them. But uh, in the end, you know, I was, when Mercedes said, you know, there might be more rain coming, I had my weather app open, uh, just trying to see what could happen in the next hour and a bit in Hungary. And it said that with like 10 laps left, there was going to be a lot of rain coming. I was like, oh boy, this is going to be a crazy finish if so. But uh, it never came. It never kind of accumulated into having that uh, that rain, unfortunately. So I got my hopes up for no reason. And, uh, maybe I had the same weather radar that Mercedes did. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, it's of course, by the time we get to Abu Dhabi or whatever the final race will be, we're going to look back on all these races to say that was the moment or that was the moment. But definitely, uh, you know, a, a good gain for Mercedes, obviously, the fact that they're now leading both championships. 
but it could have been usually they're the best at maximizing these opportunities and they just weren't able to do so because on the flip side of things Hamilton's teammate Valtteri Bottas was the bowling ball into turn one that (laughs) created this amazing race and on the one hand obviously if you're a Red Bull fan you're extremely disappointed and upset with what happened but on the other hand as a neutral F1 fan the fact that that happened gave us this great result and great race of Esteban Ocon winning. So from that standpoint, it was actually really good that that, that happened. But let's talk a little bit about how unlucky Red Bull were going into turn one. Lando Norris had a phenomenal start. He just absolutely aced it. Uh, I didn't watch the onboards. I'm not sure if he started in first or second gear, but little to none wheel spin, got off the line brilliantly. Valtteri squeezed him a little bit to the right. He didn't really have much space to go on the left, so quick mind made up and went straight down into the inside very close to the wall but there is a decent amount of space there and yeah Valtteri just uh, just locked up and, and just did not really judge the corner very well considering the conditions and man the way he slammed into Verstappen if you just watch the onboard again it's just amazing to me how Max was able to still finish that race because I don't know if you saw Tyler the photos of his car I mean that barge board was just it was gone it, it wasn't even that it was damaged. It just did not exist. And they did try to do some tape-ups during the red flag, but that really didn't didn't hap- happen with anything because they were saying he had the same amount of downforce as a Haas. And, of course, we saw him in the battle with Mick Schumacher, which, just as a side note, was so awesome to see. Mm-hmm. I, I think both of their fathers would be extremely proud of that on-track battle. They touched wheels, but it was good. It was fair. It was hard racing. And I think that uh, Mick showed uh, excellent poise in that situation with some of those faster cars. But getting back to the downforce levels, they were saying it was around that of the Haas. But yeah, I think that Verstappen's drive was similar to Alonso in Baku a couple of years ago when he had all those crashes and managed to bring the McLaren home in the points. So yeah, just a completely wild turn one incident. I mean, just so unlucky for them. Yeah, it really was. I mean, like you said, just misjudged by Bottas, unfortunately. And um, he made the error. He, he slammed into Lando pretty hard. And then, of course, Lando then slammed into Verstappen pretty hard as well. Um, and then Bottas then carried on to careen into Sergio Perez, uh, who unfortunately um, had, I, guess, I think the radiator blew out of, of his car. Um, the engine because... as well. Oh, it was the engine that went too? Yeah, so this is the, the thing that I think is going to piss off Red Bull even more. Because of this accident, they're going to need to take extra power unit components, which is going to lead to grid penalties. Same with Charles Leclerc. So these teams are very upset with these collisions caused that, you know, it's costing them big points and also grid penalties. Now, Valtteri did get a five-place grid penalty for the Belgian Grand Prix, which I actually think is deserved. I think that's actually a good penalty there because he took out so many cars. Um, people were saying it should be a race ban uh, because of what happened with Grosjean back in, I believe that was 2012 uh, in Belgium when he took out five or six cars at the start of the grid. But that was a completely different situation. That was in the dry and he literally just plowed through everyone. Uh, this is in the wet, understandable, where you can make an error like that. But yet, I still think five places uh, next race is fair because of the amount of damage he caused. I mean, that's millions of dollars worth of damage for you know multiple teams. So, um, but unfortunate for for the Red Bulls uh, and for Lando, um, and of course, then you had the other bowling ball. Um, there were two coming in because Lance Stroll uh, locked up the rears, not the fronts. The rears actually. So, I forget who was talking about the brake balance, 
But there was someone talking about the brake balance and that they had it more to the front to to avoid the rears um, locking like what happened to Stroll. And I, I forget which driver it was. I wish I, I remembered. Um, but if you look at it, I mean, it's a perfect, perfectly makes sense now. And you got to feel for Stroll because, you know, he locked the rears. There's not much you can do. He tried his best to go where no one wasn't, but then Charles was there and it just, he clattered into him really hard. And that of course uh, sent Ricardo into a spin and, and hurt his race as well. So uh, unfortunate for Lance and, and Charles and, and Daniel there. I mean, that, that's just a, a crazy start to the race. Uh, you can't predict anything like that ever happening. And I was going back and forth with somebody on Twitter who brought up a good point, which, you know, is especially disappointing from Stroll, who is typically very good in the wet. <laughs> and he's able to judge these things very well. But, yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, it's interesting you mentioned the brake bias, too. It's <laughs> just as a side note, I, I guess it's funny. It's not obviously you can't relate it that much, but I haven't played the F1, the new F1 video game too much. But I've noticed that with these newer cars uh, in the previous game in 2020, you typically would set the brake bias a lot to the rear to avoid front lockups, obviously. But now in this year's game, you can't do that because you just lose the rear all the time. So I don't know if that applies the same to the real F1 cars to where they have to run a little bit more front bias, like you were saying, um, which would then obviously explain uh, what happened there to, to Stroll. But yeah, that's going to happen if you got too much to the front, then uh, the, the rear is going to get pretty loose on you. But it was huge the way he crashed into to Charles Leclerc. So uh, there's some interesting things being thrown around on Twitter afterwards that, you know, should the team, because obviously they deemed Bottas at fault, he admitted it himself, and this one is clear. Do you think that then Mercedes should be the one paying the bill for the damages caused and vice versa with Aston Martin paying the damages to Ferrari because Leclerc is also going to need a new power unit as well. I mean, yeah, but then you go into every single incident and okay, you got to pay for this. You got to, and all of a sudden you're chasing everyone for money. That's mm -hmm. just seems like a, you know, a big pain in the butt. Um, you know, that's, that's hard to tell if, you know, Mercedes should pay for all the damages. I don't think so. I mean, it's part of owning a race team that, you know, you're getting into accidents. Some of them are not going to be your fault. There's going to be a passenger in some of these accidents. And if you're worried about, you know, if you're, you're too tight to to have a damaged car uh, money-wise, then you probably shouldn't be an F1 in the first place because you need to have a massive budget for situations like these. So I, and I disagree with that. I think that uh, Mercedes shouldn't have to pay for the damages. Um, what I don't understand is how... Bottas got a five second penalty or a five place penalty for his, uh, you know, incident that, that he caused, but Stroll didn't, I didn't see anything for Stroll. So I wonder what the stewards saw there and the difference, because for me, it was, it was, the, even if Bottas made the corner, I don't think Stroll was, that would have been a big accident as well, because there would have been more cars probably down uh, in turn one there. So uh, I just wonder what their reasoning was. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually didn't even think of that and why he didn't get a penalty too because it's kind of a similar accident because he not only took out Leclerc but then him hitting Leclerc in turn hit Ricardo and ruined his race as well. So yeah, I'm not sure. I I don't think that they he, he got a penalty like you said. So yeah. maybe it's um, a four car minimum. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> take out four know. cars. <laughs> yeah. Or, or at least, you know, if not a five-place grid or a three-place grid penalty or something yeah. in the race. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very surprised that nothing came out of that. Um, um, 
going back to the to the budget, though, I know I got off topic. What do you think? Do you think Mercedes should have to pay for the damages there, or? Um, I, I don't think so either. Um, I probably maybe need to think about it a little bit more to try and form, you know, an argument for either side. But just quickly thinking about it off the top of my head, I agree with what you said. I just think there's going to be too much of a gray area because if it's like, for example, the Verstappen and Hamilton incident, which, you know, people are still talking about uh, <laughs> two, three weeks later, everyone's going to have their opinion on who was at fault. Like, obviously, I still believe that it was Hamilton who, who was at fault that caused the accident, you know, 80, 20 around there. So, you know, then should Mercedes pay the 1.8 million worth of damages? Uh, obviously, Mercedes are going to disagree with the fact that it was Hamilton's fault, and they're going to say it was both drivers' fault, right? So it's like, who who determines that? Um, mm-hmm. Is it the race stewards who then hand out the penalties and they decide who gets to pay? So I just think it's too complicated, and it wouldn't work that way. And like you said, then you're going to be going after every little part and broken piece of carbon fiber, which is going to turn into a mess. I think that maybe they need to look at that in terms of extending the cost cap because all of these accident repairs and everything like that is all calculated into that budget cap that we have this season and it's not an additional cost so that's why that's a big part of the second half of the season you know the damages mercedes have had to repair the damages uh, that red bull now have to repair that's a big hit for these massive teams in, in this budget era and uh, especially with the 2022 project going on and things like that so it's uh yeah, there it's difficult, but I, I definitely wouldn't go with that. You know, penalizing or making teams pay for the damages. Yeah, no, that, that's a good point too. When you bring up the cost cap for this season, and of course, into next season, because you know, what are we going to do in Abu Dhabi? Is you know, are are Red Bull going to have you know only one wing, and you know they can't <laughs> bring another wing because who knows, right? Um, depending on how, how tight they are with money. So that'll be interesting to see how it plays out near the end of the season. Of course, uh, next season when it's really enforced uh, and they have penalties and um, strict monitoring on the budget cap. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so moving on then to Lance Stroll's teammate at Aston Martin, Sebastian Vettel had a very another strong weekend for the team. And of course, building off of his Azerbaijan Grand Prix second place finish, and we thought that he had second place, and we thought that what a great drive from Seb Vettel back into the podium places. Could have had a shot at winning the Grand Prix. But, uh, you know, next, obviously, being a, a very good drive from him for the 70 laps of the Hungarian Grand Prix, his team kind of really messed up at the end of the race because, of course, he did get disqualified post-race because the stewards were unable to extract one liter out of his car, and therefore that immediately leads to a disqualification. Now, as it stands... He is disqualified, but Aston Martin do have the ability to appeal that decision. But from everything I've read so far, it is unlikely that they're going to uh, win that appeal. I think that it's pretty cut and dry that they weren't able to uh, extract that fuel. I think there's. they said that there was 1.44 liters of fuel in the car, but it's just that it's, it's in a different area of the fuel cell. And again, the FIA, the stewards, the scrutineers weren't able to immediately extract it. So it's pretty cut and dry from that standpoint. It seems like Aston Martin didn't tell Seb in time to pull over the car, just like George Russell did, for example, um, because obviously he did the extra cooldown lap, which I'm sure burned off pretty much the fuel, I guess, they needed for that extraction. So it's really unfortunate, you know, especially considering the day when Alpine scored so huge, the fact that Aston Martin then scores zero, it's going to be a big hit to the team. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, I wonder how much they did extract. Could they only extract a quarter liter? Could they extract half a liter? Was it like 
900 milliliters and there were 100 like how close was it i wonder i think it was uh, uh, 0.3 if i remember correctly oh so not even close okay yeah so if it's zero yeah 300 i mean you're only not even a third of the way there so that that, that makes sense not even close um but yeah, I, I never heard of that rule until now. Uh, I didn't know that was a rule. Yeah, me too. Uh, I didn't know they test the fuel after every race. That seems like a lot of chemical work that they have to deal with. Um, and of course, they have to have every car. You know, if I was Aston Martin, I would just be like, well, I'll just use Lance's fuel. He's got tons in there. <laughs> uh, but uh, it, it's too bad for Seb and Aston Martin because he did have a phenomenal race. Uh, he probably could have won the race. There was a couple instances where... Um, you know, he, he almost had a move done on Esteban. Uh, and and it was a well-deserved podium for him. He drove, you know, one of the best kind of Sebastian Vettel races we've seen from him in the last little bit. So heartbreaking for him. We've still got to celebrate on the podium. Um, but it just, you know, these little little rules, it, they always come up to bite you. And, and to find the way of coming out randomly during events like this, we never know when they're going to happen. All of a sudden, there's this rule that pops up. Well, you got to have a liter of fuel in there. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. So that's too bad. Yeah, no, I must confess, I didn't know it either. And I was kind of surprised. I was like, well, you know, normally they would penalize teams for uh, being underfueled and things like that. But I didn't know that they had to extract that amount. So um, it makes sense, though, because now thinking about it, how many post-race radios you hear of, uh, you know, save fuel or in cases of like George Russell, they just tell him to stop the car and pull over. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's the reason why and, and why they did it in the Williams side. And this disqualification really goes down the grid as well because it moves Hamilton up to second. <laughs> Carlos Sainz for the second time in his career celebrates a podium after the fact. So uh, <laughs> congratulations to Carlos Sainz for a, a good drive. Would have been a good drive nonetheless if it wasn't a podium, but gets to keep uh, his second podium of the season. And it also means that before the penalty... It was a six-point deficit in the championship between Hamilton and Verstappen, and now it's eight points because Hamilton gets moved up, and so does Verstappen as well. So it's kind of a trickle-down effect. We'll see what happens with the appeal. I don't think it's going to be uh, very successful for Aston Martin, but they're going to try nonetheless. Now, the good thing about this, not if you're an Aston Martin fan, but if you are a Williams fan, it means that Williams, next to the double points finish that they already had, just ended up scoring more and more points, which was an absolutely phenomenal day for Williams. And I think had Esteban Ocon not won the race, they would have been the main storyline. It was, I believe the final result was Latifi P7 and Russell P8, if I'm correct. Yeah, I believe you're right. And that's a phenomenal result, like you said. It really is. And it's just so funny that... After three years almost of trying at Williams and, and Russell working so hard, we saw how emotional he was afterwards in his interview, almost like he won the world championship just <laughs> scoring a handful of points. I just it was it was funny and a lot of people pointed this out how ironic it was that Latifi ended up being the first Williams driver to score the points for them and not Russell. But nonetheless, Latifi drove a phenomenal race. And remember last year to Hungary here, just how good of a start he had and of course had the issue with the unsafe release which sent him back but this year's Grand Prix as well, out of all the carnage, you looked up, and, and I think at the end of the first lap, it was like Latifi was in sixth or something like that. It was something insane. And then he was running in the podium places for quite a while and holding his own. And then, of course, afterwards fell down after the pit stops, but still was holding good pace, 
I loved how George Russell got on the radio and was saying, prioritize uh, Latifi's strategy, you know, sacrifice my race if you have to. Just uh, what a team player George Russell is and shows just how much of an asset he can be to these teams. But full credit to to Nicholas Latifi. Uh, just so happy for him to be able to score his first points in Formula One after uh, almost two seasons now with Williams. And obviously George Russell as well, that hard work finally paying off. And it's a big day for Williams considering all the struggles that they've had. And I think it does show how much talent they actually do have. I mean, obviously, all the focus is on George Russell and his future, but Nicholas Latifi is a pretty handy driver himself. And I don't think he gets a lot of credit just because of where the car he's in. But, I mean, to be up in P3, and I actually think he could have finished probably P4 or P5 um, if, uh, if Williams didn't mess up his strategy. And I don't think he was going to beat science. Um, but I think he could have been ahead of, could have been ahead of Alonzo after those pit stops and definitely ahead of Sonoda. Um, I don't know why they didn't box him a little bit sooner. They kept him out for another lap after Sonoda and Gasly and Alonzo all pitted, uh, which really, really hurt his race. I, I mean, you need to have that Williams car ahead, especially in Hungary because it's so hard to overtake because he was holding everyone back for a long time in P3. It was a really good drive from Nicholas. But unfortunately, just uh, didn't get that part of his race uh, done properly, which, I mean, in the end, isn't a big deal because he did score his first F1 points. And like you said, just a phenomenal race by him to, I mean, George couldn't catch him at the end of the race either. George had a, had a tough time catching Nicholas. They were running pretty equal pace. Um, and just like you said, how emotional George was after the race. I think that shows a lot of his character and to prioritize, you know, uh, uh, Latifi's race over his um in the end they both get to score pretty solid points but that's something that maybe if you're mercedes you look at oh this is a maybe a more compliant teammate than what we have right now and of course it's it's not as bad as what rossberg and hamilton were but you know if you think that's why botas was brought in as a second driver after rossberg retired and maybe this will be the same sort of scenario where you realize that we could have a, a very solid relationship here between the two drivers Absolutely. And I'm going to go on to that point next. I just wanted to uh, add on to the Latifi praise because I agree. I don't think he gets enough praise. And people had the negative view of him because, of course, uh, you know, his successful father and the money that he brought to Formula One, which which is fair. It's fair to point out. Of course, we've been dealing with that with Lance Stroll for the past couple of years. But I think as Stroll has proved and Latifi's getting there, I think he hasn't proved himself all the way just yet. But he has proved himself to be a really solid driver. I think in the races, he's quite impressive. And mm. it's difficult to see, like you said, Tyler, because of that Williams. But I think that his race pace is his strength. Now, yes, in the qualifying, he is struggling going up against Mr. Saturday. And you see George Russell is maximizing the performance of the Williams FW43B. Latifi's not doing that just yet, but he's close. He was only a tenth off of Russell in this qualifying. And I haven't looked at the gaps all the way throughout the season, but he has had some very close qualifyings with George Russell. But when it comes to the races, he's very, very good. And I think a lot of fans are starting to warm up to Latifi because he's very humble. He, Of course, he's an excellent guy. You know, we interviewed him uh, almost two years ago now and very down to earth, easy to talk to, just a normal guy. You wouldn't think that he comes from a very rich family or that he drives in Formula One. So I think that is something that Williams are really appreciating about him. And next to the financial side of things, I think that there's a lot of worth in keeping Latifi at Williams, depending on what happens with Russell, which is my next point. 
But I think that there's a lot of rumors swirling Williams as to what's going to happen either way, whether he stays or whether he goes. But I think that Latifi has earned himself a spot at Williams for the future. Uh, I think so too, Chris, especially with this result. It really showed um, the, the capabilities he has to race with these guys. And just if they had a faster car, I think both of those Williams drivers would be scoring uh, more points. I'd say if, even if they had the Alpha Romeo car, which is just a little bit ahead of them right now, I think both those drivers would be scoring points in the Alphas. Uh, I think that's how talented both of them are. So hopefully this uh, leads to Latifi being signed for next season. And, and hopefully it's a two-year deal because you never know with the car development, they could have a great car next year. And I think they both, well, obviously George deserves a ride, but I think Nicholas deserves a ride next year as well in F1. So then that moves us on to the talk of silly season 2022. And could the Hungarian Grand Prix have been George Russell's final race for Williams? We do have, of course, a four-week break until we head back to the Belgian Grand Prix. And my question for you, Tyler, is simply, will George Russell be a Mercedes driver by the time we get to Spa-Francorchamps? Because, very interesting with all the rumors surrounding him and Valtteri Bottas, George Russell is doing the Pirelli 2022 tire test with Mercedes at the Hungaro ring as we speak. So what do you think, Tyler? Do you think that Total Wolf will pull the trigger over the summer break? And if not, does he have that Mercedes seat locked up anyways? Uh, no and no, Chris. <laughs> okay. I, I don't think uh, he has either locked up right now. I think, you know, for next season, uh, it, it's, a, I say, 50-50 shot that it's Valtteri or George. We saw last year how close it was between those two, who's going to get the seat, Valtteri or George, but they signed Valtteri. And I think it's the same scenario right now is that it's, it could go either way for both of these drivers is that do they bring Bottas back or the familiarity with the car or do they bring George in to be the next challenger for Lewis? It's going to be interesting to see what happens between the two uh, for this season. I absolutely do not think that uh, George Russell will be in the Mercedes uh, in the spa. Um, I think that'd be way too much of a shakeup for this season. Um, Valtteri still has a lot of talent has, has driven, has driven a decent this year. It's not his best season, of course, or not even close to his best season, but I don't think he deserves to lose his seat mid season due to his performances. Um, I think that you know, he would have to see the end of the season out. And I think that's something that Mercedes should do to respect what Valtteri has done for them. You know, he's been, he's come in and he's been a team player for, you know, for the four years or five years, whatever it is now that he's been at Mercedes. Uh, he's nonstop been a team player up until really the end of last season and this season. And I don't think you can punish him for uh, everything he's done for Lewis Hamilton and for Mercedes as a team. Um, that's just not something in my mind that would be, right from mercedes now sports isn't always what's you know what's right it's always what's best for business um so maybe george russell is best for business um mid-season i don't know i I don't personally see it happening how about yourself i would agree too i'd be quite shocked if they made that switch in the middle of this championship deciding season considering how close it is with red bull and although valtteri has had a very difficult 2021 he's still of course, been with this team for the last five years. So doing that switch, I don't think would be be a smart decision. So it was just interesting to kind of throw that out there. Maybe some of you out there think that he will be. I think that him doing the 2022 Pirelli tire test is an indication 
that he will be in that second Mercedes seat for 2022. That's just my opinion. But my opinion isn't that important right now because I think the important of a former world champion is what we should be talking about because guess where Jacques Villeneuve, or guess who Jacques Villeneuve thinks is going to be in that second seat at Mercedes next year? Uh, Nicholas Latifi. No, <laughs> keep going. Oh, I thought he was going to go with a Canadian. <laughs> he did go with a Canadian. He thinks he Lance Stroll Lance. will be in Mercedes for 2022 alongside Lewis Hamilton. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, <laughs> his dad did you know, buy a bit of Aston Martin. Um you know, and you would think logically that Aston Martin would be where he would stay. Um, but an interesting one. I mean, that would be something way out of left field. And if you had a little bit of money on that, you'd be making some some bucks on their return. It sounds crazy, right? But when we think about it a little bit closer, Toto Wolf and Lawrence Stroll are very close. Uh, Lance Stroll is close with Toto Wolf as well. We've seen them, of course, interact many times before. We know that. Lawrence Stroll desperately wants his son to become a world champion in Formula One. And yeah, he did purchase Aston Martin and put his son in that team so that he could do it there. But at the moment, Aston Martin are not there as championship challengers and probably won't be for the next couple of years. So it's not too far out of left field to consider that move. I think that when you look at maybe who Lewis Hamilton would prefer to have in the car, I'm not so sure if he'd want to be teammates with George Russell because Russell is definitely not going to be Valtteri Bottas. Russell is going to fight, and I don't think that Russell will, let's say, pull his car over as many times as Valtteri Bottas has in his stint with Mercedes. And we've seen that from Russell in the way he races some drivers, that he's not going to be uh, necessarily a driver that's going to play the number two role. He's young, he's hungry, and he wants to be world champion himself. So I don't know if Lewis Hamilton necessarily wants that Nico Rosberg type of vibe with his teammate. Lance Stroll, I don't think, would give him the same problems. And I also think that Toto Wolff a few weeks ago said that his main priority, even if they decide to not go with Valtteri Bottas next season, is to ensure that Bottas has a good future in Formula 1. And wouldn't that be a great future to do a swap with Lawrence Stroll and put Bottas in the Aston Martin alongside Sebastian Vettel? I think Aston Martin would gain a very solid driver, arguably a better driver than Lance Stroll, which you can, you guys can debate. But it is very crazy, and I don't think that it's going to happen because Jacques Villeneuve, of course, is never short of an opinion. But it's just—it's a crazy one to talk about. But uh, yeah, anyways, I just wanted to bring that up because I saw it just before coming on. You know, the more you say it, the more you keep talking about it, the more I'm believing it. So <laughs> right? if you if you, it's something one of those things where if you keep talking about something for long enough, it eventually happens because just everyone's talking about it. So mm-hmm. if enough people maybe talk about this, maybe it happens. Who knows? It certainly is really out there, but it's not inconceivable that it would happen. I don't know if they would do that to Russell, considering that he is a uh, Mercedes driver and Lance Stroll isn't. But there's a lot of connections between Aston Martin and Mercedes that could work out in that way. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I don't think that they'll make a change before the summer break ends. I do believe I think that we'll see George Russell in the 2022 seat, which will be a very interesting relationship with Lewis Hamilton. Main reason, I believe, is also because Mercedes has to think of their future. Lewis Hamilton is, you know, deep into his 30s now. He's going to race for, you know, probably another good couple of years. But after that, they're going to need a number one driver. And I think that they want Russell to be that person. So they want to invest in the future. And what better way than to bring him in alongside a seven-time world champion and develop there as well. So we'll see. There's a a lot of interesting things to play out. 
maybe Lance Stroll is the one that takes over that number 44 Mercedes down the line. Right. Who knows? Maybe that's a more realistic thing to, to talk about. So it, it could be a possibility for sure. Certainly interesting to talk about. Let us know down in the comments below what you think <laughs> and uh, where do you think, uh, who do you think will fill that second Mercedes seat? Definitely Baltas did not help his chances though with this weekend. No. Or or maybe he did. Maybe, uh, you know, Total Wolf a couple of weeks ago said, we're one DNF away from a close championship. So <laughs> He almost yeah. got two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was almost a two for one. <laughs> right. And you know um, what? He took Norris out just to make sure that he didn't get third in the championship either. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, so... Job done for Valtteri. <laughs> All the main targets. That's if they were ten points each, it's thirty points. <laughs> yeah, I think he did a strike. Yeah, uh, that would be a strike. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> oh man. Um, so I think that's all for did my you, notes. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I just wanted. Did you see the awkward moment when Lando Norris in the media pen said, "Yeah, it was Valtteri's fault," and Valtteri was like right behind him. He's like, "Oh, maybe, yeah, like, I did see that." And but Valtteri did say, "Hey, I'm sorry about that," which I mean he kind of has to was his fault uh but that was kind of a little awkward situation there wasn't it yeah there was this even funnier one because um of course their mclaren was also doing their 2022 uh tire test today at uh at the hungaro ring and uh it was mclaren i think uh yeah lando norse is in the car today daniel ricardo will be in the car on wednesday but i just want to show you this because it was uh it was really funny <laughs> so the original one is ricardo holding the uh, pit board that says uh, lando has a 15 second penalty but somebody <laughs> just cropped it out and was like watch out for Bottas." that's phenomenal good great photoshop there yeah i guess i think ricardo should be holding one that says watch out for stroll <laughs> yeah that's right yeah that's right <laughs> Oh man, yeah. There's there's been a couple of good ones out of uh, out of the Hungarian Grand Prix. So, yeah, that's that one. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say that that about did it for my uh, list for the Hungarian Grand Prix. Was there anything else from the race I might have missed that uh, you wanted to talk about? I just I want to get your opinion on this, Chris. And that is this the most dramatic season in Formula One we have seen to date. Because in my mind, and I'm talking about, you know, how close the championship is. I'm not talking about, you know, is it the most skilled drive? I'm talking about most dramatic we have seen it in media, between the drivers, between the teams. It's got to be up there as one of the most dramatic seasons in Formula 1 ever. Of all, oh, yeah, of all time? Of all time. Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I would certainly say for the last couple of seasons where I've paid really close attention to F1, it certainly is. Um, it, it maybe rivals, let's say 2018. I mean, 2018 was pretty dramatic, but then it kind of fell off after the summer break, but maybe the war between Ferrari and Mercedes was never as bitter and as heated as this one is between Red Bull and Mercedes. But I, th I think that's fair to say. I, I, I really, I, th I think it is at this point. Uh, the, only, the only one that comes close to me, 2016 between the two drivers mm -hmm. in Rossberg and Hamilton, but that was, that was just with one team. It wasn't almost all of F1 who was caught in this drama. Um, maybe when, you know, sh the, the peak Schumacher days, I'm trying to think when him and Villeneuve were going at it, that, yeah. you know, that got that got dramatic, of course. But I don't think it ever got as dramatic as this. I think this is the most dramatic season of F1 ever. And it's not done yet. I mean, I was, exactly. looking, through the, I was looking through the stats. The first 11 races, we've had seven different teams score podiums, 10 different drivers on the podium. 
We've got Esteban Ocon winning a race, and who knows what else is going to happen in the last 12 races. So, yeah, certainly the way this is going to pan out, and fingers crossed it comes down to the final race between Verstappen and Hamilton, which it looks like it will, depending on car development and things like that. But it's definitely up there. I'm, I'm interested to see if there's some of the uh, older generation fans that are listening to this podcast. I mean, of course, you guys have been uh, watching F1 maybe longer than we have. <laughs> Can comment below on which one. But certainly in recent times, I think it's been a while since we've had a championship like this where we have, you know, the two best drivers on the grid. I think everybody can agree that these are the two best drivers on the grid at the moment. Going head-to-head in the championship, it's it's something we haven't seen in a while. We saw it with Vettel and Hamilton. We definitely saw it there. But I don't think that ever lived up to what this has been so far and what it's going to be in the next 12 races. Yeah, and I think at the start of the season, I predicted five teams winning a race. Well, we're at three. We're, we're at only three, halfway yeah. through the season. So... It's possible. I'm not saying it's it's you know it's gonna be a stretch, but you think Ferrari, maybe McLaren, have a good chance yeah. to, to, you know to to win a race with something happening this season. And even Aston Martin, you look at Sebastian Vettel's been in the position to do it twice already, so I I don't see any reason why he couldn't do it again, considering a crazy race. Yeah, no, absolutely, it could happen, and we've seen crazier things happen, and we got a lot of interesting race circuits at the end of the season coming up. Uh, Monza always can can pull out a, an interesting race. Of course, Spa is always an interesting one with uh, you know different conditions that could happen. Um, and we got the sprint format at Monza this year. Oh, that's right, sprint format at Monza, which was turn one sprint format. Oh, <laughs> I could get interesting. Maybe we'll have a, another bowling alley pile up. <laughs> that one, there's no place escaping that though, considering how tight turn one is. Oh, definitely not. Um. I, I do want to mention, since we're talking about Spa, I'm not sure if you saw what happened in the um, GT3 race. There are very scary yeah. incidents. Uh, Jack Aiken, uh, among four drivers uh, in that scary incident, uh, of course, Williams' um, reserve driver, I think, is his official title, mm-hmm. um, uh, suffered broken collarbone and a fractured vertebrae. Thank God that's all he got because uh, it was a very nasty incident uh, right on the top uh you know the old rouge right yeah old rouge yep. so um you know caught he was he was stopped right in the middle of the racetrack got clobbered twice um just very fortunate that that he's all right so uh hopefully speedy recovery for jack uh, and you know hope to see him back in your car soon yeah well said and and i did end up catching that it was a very scary incident similar to the one that we saw a few years ago at uh, at the f2 uh, race as well so yeah it's, it's a dangerous track and and of course the racing as well and i think I, it was i believe it was a race at brands hatch that yeah. uh, one of the marshals unfortunately passed away because of uh, another accident there as well so yeah, it was yeah. A scary incident there yeah it's it's tough it's you we forget often that, that this is a very dangerous sport and it is a life-threatening sport not just for for the drivers, for the marshals as well, and most of those guys are volunteers anyway. So um, they do a good job generally at every race weekend, but they are at risk. And when we see these big accidents, so um, yeah, unfortunately a sad weekend uh, on that regard. But yeah, best wishes to those drivers, and hope that they make a quick recovery. 
Uh, now, just to fin- finally finish off this podcast, of course, this is the summer break. We are uh, in the middle of it right now. We won't <laughs> see Formula One until the end of August, which is going to go by quickly, and we're going to have plenty of uh, videos here on this channel to help get you through that summer break. I'm currently working on updating the uh, Teammate Tale of the Tape series, so we're just kind of doing a mid-season update to uh, what we did at the preseason, and interesting just to see uh, where our predictions were and, and how the two uh, drivers are stacking up against each other, so that will come out in the next couple of weeks. And I think we'll try and maybe do a uh, you know middle of the month or so, uh, just a general podcast looking at the first half of the season and then looking ahead to the last half of the season with all three of us. So uh, you can expect that in the next coming weeks. I just wanted to wrap up with we're 11 races in. We're unofficially at the halfway point of this season. You know, it's it's been a very, very great opening start to this year. And when I look at the championship as a whole... I think going into the summer break, Mercedes will feel incredibly happy and lucky. The fact that they are leading both championships, considering the fact that Red Bull have won six races to start the season. Of course, five for Verstappen and one for Sergio Perez. And Mercedes has only won four. And Lewis Hamilton hasn't led very many laps. I don't know what the exact number is, but Verstappen's led over 400 laps. I think Lewis uh, is less than 200. So looking at the championship, there's a lot of work to do for both of these teams, and car upgrades are going to play a crucial role. The development race as we head into the next season is going to be a big factor as well. What are some of your expectations as we go into this final half of the season? And do you think that, I mean, I think both of us think that this championship is going to go down to the wire, but do you see that the momentum has shifted to either side, or is it still relatively even kind of where we were at the start? I think we're right in the middle. I think for a little bit, we saw it swing to Red Bull side pretty heavily. Uh, but over the last two races, I'd say it swung back into the middle uh, between these two teams. I don't think Mercedes have an advantage. and I don't think Red Bull have an advantage. I think it's it's very, very close between these two these two teams. So uh, it, it's anyone's championship. It's still at this point. And we said this uh, back in 2018 with Vettel and Hamilton, and then Vettel had an awful second half of the season. So it could happen either way with Verstappen with Hamilton. One of those drivers could have an awful end to the season and it'd be a clear, um, a clear winner at the end of the season. So hopefully that's not the case. Hopefully we come have it come right down to the end, but uh, no, I, I think the momentum is right in the middle, Chris. Yeah. And I would agree with that. I think that's a fair statement. I think for the summer break couldn't come at a worse time for somebody like Verstappen because he still hasn't been able to redeem that incident at Silverstone. Of course, this was a horrible race for him and and uh, and uh, Red Bull as a whole, just considering what happened in Britain. So the fact that they've scored, you know, only a couple of points in the last two races is a huge blow to them. But looking on the positive side, they're only eight points down, and they could have been a lot more points down if Mercedes had done things better and had executed a little bit better. So I agree. I think it's like right in the middle, and it's difficult to tell which team has the better car at the moment because. It seems like Mercedes have regained some of the power advantage that Red Bull had just a couple of races ago. So it's this kind of tit for tat and back and forth and, you know, crashes, the budget cap, the second drivers, all of this is going to come into play as we head into the final 12 races. Every single point is going to be crucial. I mean, it already was, but even more so in this final race. And like we saw the mistakes made by Ferrari in those championship years, they really weren't able to develop the car as well as Mercedes did into the latter part of the season. So I think Red Bull will be able to do that better because they're typically better at development in this later stage of the year. But it's going to be exciting. It's going to be a crazy, crazy finish. There's a lot of tracks that suits both cars and both drivers. 
and we got a bunch of unknowns and new tracks along the way as well that could throw some uh some spanners in the works but uh yeah it's gonna be a wild finish i think uh, absolutely it's gonna be a wild finish uh who knows what this end of the season is gonna look like um and we don't even know if we're, if we're gonna have another uh race in in us or not i mean right. there's a, there's a, there's an unknown track p- potentially on the grid which is pretty exciting i'm sure that will get announced in the coming weeks because they have to sell tickets and um uh, you know try to get entire allocations and everything right um but it's it really is anyone's game, Chris. It could go either way, and it's, it's going to be an exciting finish. Uh, Max is going to have his home Grand Prix to look forward to, yeah, uh, which is awesome to see. Um, first time for him, so that's going to be a, a fun race to watch as well. And he'll definitely have an advantage there, just pure adrenaline alone. Um, and Lewis will have to, uh, you know, take on his expertise of these tracks that he's been to, a, I know, a billion times, pretty much. Um, and and use that momentum uh, for the end of the season his expertise and we saw how exhausted he was at the end of the race uh, in hungary you know, barely being able to stand on the podium uh he's really putting his might into this season and in all his fight and he can tell us the hardest he's worked for a formula one title in his career absolutely and it makes it all that better for us fans as well and uh, there's a long way to go we're gonna have 12 races in 15 weeks but i think it's going to be action-packed it's going to go by very quickly We've also got two more sprint races that are supposed to be coming on the way, which just adds another element into this championship. So, yeah, a lot to look forward to. And this break actually isn't a bad thing, you know, just to be able to recharge a little bit after an intense first 11 races and another intense 12 to go. So it's going to be nice to be able to take a little bit of time off away from F1. And when we come back, we'll be super excited for the Belgian Grand Prix and all the rest of the races that follows. But of course, the backmarkers of One Show will be there alongside you guys to bring you all the action. We'll have our podcast, we'll have our race previews, and every other video in between that we really look forward to bringing you as we wrap up this 2021 season. Tyler, thank you very much again for providing me with your company for tonight's episode. I think uh, we'd have a really good show here tonight, covered all the bases, and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to the restart of the season. But uh, any final thoughts, I'll leave it to you. Uh, no, just enjoy the summer break, everyone. Uh, do a Fernando Alonso, take a little patio <laughs> chair, sit back, have a little drink, whatever your drink of choice is, and enjoy August and get ready for a wild end of the season that we're going to have. Well said. And uh, for you guys out there, we really appreciate your guys' support through the first half of the season. And we hope that we get the same amount of support for the rest of the half of the season. We're being ambitious. Let's say let's try to get to 10,000 subscribers by the end of the year. I think it's possible with the amount of races that we've got and, of course, uh, the amount of uh, followers that we've gained recently and just throughout the whole year. So we really, really thank you guys for that. And uh, hit the bell for notifications as well on the YouTube channel so that you don't miss the new videos coming out in the summer break. Maybe you're relaxing on that deck chair like you're saying, Tyler, and you're going (laughs) to miss it on your phone. So if not, we've got plenty of coming for you during the summer break. And uh, if we don't hear from you then, you'll be hearing from us uh, on the week of the Belgian Grand Prix as we'll have our A to Z guide for that video. And then, of course, the podcast recapping that race. So thanks again, Tyler. Appreciate your time tonight. Thank you to everybody out there listening. You can follow us on social media at TBMF1 Show to stay up to date with us during the summer break. But if not, if you're tuning out and you're disconnecting for the month of August, we hope you enjoy your summer break. Have an excellent, healthy vacation if you're going somewhere. Enjoy the weather. Enjoy all the great things that come with it. And we'll be back for Formula One Racing really, really soon. I'm Chris Cato, your host. And until next time, it's bye for now. Thanks, guys.